You may open your Bibles to 2 Kings 9. 2 Kings chapter 9, let's take a few minutes to consider one of the highly praised examples of zeal in the Bible, of whom the Lord said, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and has done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. The Bible tells us now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does it say next? For by it the elders obtained a good report. God gave them a good report, and God recorded those good reports for us to learn from them. And so we have that opportunity. You know, that's the beginning of Hebrews 11, and we have what we typically call the Hall of Faith there, where we have listed those illustrious elders that obtained a good report. The apostle gets toward the end of it, and he says, I'm running out of time, and time fails me to be able to tell you more about Barak, Gideon, Samuel, David, and so forth. And he lists the elders that he didn't have time to give several sentences about, and then he goes on into elders that we don't really even know about. People that were sawn asunder, that lived in caves and desert, uh, deserts and hid from men, and were tossed about and persecuted and, and suffered greatly. It says, of whom the world was not worthy. Right. They were the worthies of the world, but Paul said the world wasn't worthy of them. And then we come to chapter 12 where it says that, wherefore we have such a cloud of witnesses around us. We want to live worthy of those worthies that are mentioned there in Hebrews 11. Now, Jehu isn't mentioned by name, but he's one of the elders of Israel, and he obtained a good report. And the good report is the verse I just gave you. It's at the end. And we just want to look at him briefly to see some of the zeal. And what we've got to ask ourselves is, is there some king that's tried to enthrone himself in our lives that we need to take his head off. Right. Is there something, some habit, something in your life that is stealing your dedication to the Lord? And we need to deal with him, or th- we need to deal with that thing that we're personifying here as Jehu dealt with the enemies of God in Israel of his generation. If you go read the commentators and expositors about Jehu, they are very critical and negative of him. And unjustifiably so. They don't like his attitude when he's going to say to his friend, Jehonadab, that you just had Brother Newell read about from Jeremiah 35, when he said, come up in my chariot and come and see my zeal for the Lord. They call him a Pharisee. They call him a self-righteous and arrogant man. I read what God said of him, that thou hast done well in executing that which was right in mine eyes. That is not pride when you speak that way and you back it up with performance, trusting God to bless your efforts. The Apostle Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Was he a Pharisee? David said, I will, I will, I will, I will. In Psalm 101, was he a Pharisee? No. I will. Future tense. These are the things that I'm going to do for the Lord. He could have said... Come and see my zeal for the Lord in Psalm 101. We will admit that Jehu was a hypocrite the second half of his life. He destroyed one form of idolatry in Israel, but kept another form. And God avenged 
the blood that he shed in these two chapters because of his hypocrisy. God wanted the blood shed exactly as Jehu did it. But because Jehu did not destroy the two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan, as soon as that fourth generation was on the throne and he only got to reign a few months, God judged the house of Jehu and took it out off the throne. We don't want to end up that way. That's why Galatians 4.18 about zeal is so good. It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Not just to get started, but to continue in it. 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10. Now we don't have time to read every verse and comment on every verse, but I hope that we can look at some of the major deeds in Jehu's life and see his zeal for the Lord because he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And I hope that you'll always remember the man he said that to was Jonadab that we just read about in Jeremiah 35. By the way, in Jeremiah 35, when Jonadab told his sons to tell their sons that they were not to build a house, nor live in a city, nor drink wine, he was not saying that those things are ordinarily or intrinsically wrong. He had nothing against drinking wine ordinarily. He was telling them, I see God's hand of judgment coming upon Israel, and we will be taken captive. We might as well get used to not having permanent dwelling places, living in a city and having the advantages of drinking wine. We're going to show a more austere approach to life so that when we are captive in that foreign nation, we'll be able to survive better. That's what Jeremiah 35 was about. And the Lord commended their family because they had obeyed the words of their father, even though Israel wasn't obeying the words of God Himself. That's why Jeremiah 35 is there. It's an object lesson by God to the Israelites about their rebellion against the words of God their father. Jonadab had lived about 300 years before Jeremiah 35. Now that's a big family tree and that's a long family tree that had kept up their father's commandment in a matter of liberty for the purpose of showing that God's judgment was going to come upon Israel. I wanted to tell you all that because when you see Jehu and Jehonadab meeting, give me your hand and get up here in the chariot with me. Is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? Those two men were both committed to cleaning up religion in Israel. Remember, a final warning. Our purpose in looking at Jehu's life is to see the zeal that the Lord commends for two chapters in the Bible and apply that same zeal to whatever is lacking in your life. Whatever is wrong in your life that needs to be torn down. Instead of asking you as I did years ago, if you have an agag in your life, then hew them in pieces. Whatever that might be. We'll say, whatever you have in your life that shouldn't be there, Turn it into a draft house. And we'll all understand what we're talking about. You got anything in your life that should be turned into a draft house? Or do you have anything in your life that you ought to draw a bow with all your strength and drive an arrow out the heart of that thing? Then put it to death. The Bible says to mortify the works of the flesh. And we use the example of Jehu because of his zeal. 
Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And that's what we ought to be saying to each other to provoke and exhort each other in righteousness. I hope that you've read these chapters because I'm not going to be able to read all the verses and comment on them. I just want to take them section at a time. Remember, when you go into 2 Kings and in, in, in this part of the Old Testament, you've got Israel and you've got Judah. You've got ten tribes and you've got two tribes. They each have a king. They each have a capital. Israel was ten tribes and it was ruled in Samaria. Judah was two tribes and it was ruled in Jerusalem. There are two kings right now. Joram, or Jehoram, who was the king of Israel, son of Ahab. Ahaziah is the son-in-law of Ahab, and he's king of Judah. He's the king that the Lord took his three descendants and cut them out of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We find three kings missing in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 8. And it's all discovered by looking at the life of Ahaziah, because God considered anybody that came from Ahab to be an imposter on the throne of Jerusalem and nothing like David or his sons. So he cut them out of the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. We've got those two kings, and the Lord's put them together in the same place. You'll remember that Elijah had said great and terrible things against the house of Ahab. What was one of the greatest crimes they committed? He wanted a vineyard of Naboth, and he lied about it. Jezebel did the dirty work, and they killed Naboth for Ahab to have that vineyard. And the Lord remembered that, and the Lord had given specific promises, and Jehu fulfilled those promises for the Lord's judgment upon the house of Ahab and upon Baal worship in Israel. In the first 13 verses of chapter 9, 2 Kings 9, 1-13, through 13, we have the calling of Jehu by the Lord. You know, when you look at what Jehu did after these verses, you wonder what gave him that authority. Well, the Lord gave him that authority. The Lord raised him up. The Lord called him. The Lord, through Elijah, through Elisha, sent a son of the prophets with holy oil to anoint Jehu as king over Israel. There was a great act of sedition right there, but it was sedition by the Lord. The Lord was throwing out Ahab's family and putting in, installing Jehu as the king of Israel. And if you've read it, You've read about that young son of the prophets coming in and finding a whole room full of captains of the armies of Israel sitting there. And he said, oh, captain, I have an errand to thee. And Jehu seems to be very unassuming, says, who of all us? To thee, O captain. And so the son of the prophet takes Jehu into another room, pours the oil on his head and says, the Lord God of Israel has said, thou art the new king of Israel. Well, now that's a pretty dangerous thing to call yourself when there are when there is a king of Israel. And he comes back out to the table, and the other captains want to know what was said. And he said, you know what that man came... You know what he said, don't you? You know, Would you want to tell somebody that the Lord had just made you king when you had no royal ancestry at all and you weren't connected to the house of Ahab? And he said, well, what did he say? Well, he said that the Lord's anointed me king of Israel. What gave all those men in one second no jealousy but to tear off their coats and put them down and, and say, Jehu is king. The Lord was in this matter. The Lord was raising up a scourge to destroy the worship of Baal and the house of Ahab in Israel. That's verses 1 through 13. 
The first operation that Jehu engaged in is verses 14 through 29. And he gets in his chariot, and the Bible tells us a characteristic of Jehu's driving, that he drove furiously. And as we read the rest of his character traits in these two chapters, we see his zeal. He was full of zeal. He said, let me, let me show you my zeal. And everything he did was very zealous. And the Lord said, you did everything that was in my heart. And we know the Lord is zealous, especially against Ahab and his house and Baal worship. But we, we find Jehu getting in his chariot. He told his men, don't let anyone carry news of this from Ramoth Gilead to Jezreel. Let me get there unannounced and see what I can do. That is mentioned in verse 15 as he asks the other captains not to let that news get out to Jezreel where these two kings were recovering from a battle. So Jehu drives for Jezreel. The two kings are in a tower. Jehoram, king of Israel, Ahaziah, king of Judah, they're in a tower together. The watchman says, a band of horsemen are coming. Jehoram says, send out a rider. Find out if they're coming in peace. The rider goes out, you've read it, I hope, and asks, are you in peace? And Jehu says, what do you know about peace? Get behind me. He's coming on as fast as his chariot will go, driving it furiously. They send out another one. That one, what do you, what do you know about peace? Get behind me. And then Joram says, get my chariot ready. And the watchman says, you know, that driving out there looks like Jehu because he's driving his chariot furiously. He must have had a reputation for his zeal already. You know, I wonder why the Lord chose Jehu. The Lord chose Jehu for this job because he was going to do it well. He was going to do it thoroughly. And the Lord's commendation at the end tells us why he chose him. Because he executed everything and did it well that was in the heart of God against these enemies of God. Joram goes out to meet him. Joram knows who he is because he's one of his captains. Jehu, is it peace? Listen to this answer. Verse 22. 2 Kings 9.22 Jehu answered, What peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. Now that's not a nice thing to say to make friends and influence people. To say that about Joram's mother or Jehoram. You know, the Bible uses different combinations of the Hebrew syllables that we get that in our English translation of a man's name. It's the same man, Joram or Jehoram. One's just shorter than the other. But that's how Jehu answers. He is on a mission. He does not care or have any regard for any of these imposters in the reign over the people of God. They are followers of Baal. That woman was a wicked woman and Jehoram was her son, and he's going to take him out. Joram turned his hands in verse 23 and fled, and said to Ahaziah, the other king with him, There is treachery, O Ahaziah. And Jehu drew a bow. He did not charge this to someone else. He did not assign it. He did not look for volunteers. Jehu himself grabbed a bow, and it says with his full strength, And smote Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. He had turned around, he had turned his hands to get out of there, because he realized he was in trouble. And Jehoram did it with his full strength. And the the thing that we want out of this these two chapters is what do you have in your life 
that you should be doing better because you should make the change with your full strength. Don't make a half-hearted effort at it. Half-hearted efforts don't work. Let's follow the example that we're given here that the Lord commends by looking in our life and seeing what kings may have got on a throne that don't belong there and drawing our bows with our full strength and driving an arrow through them. That is the lesson. That's what we want to take out of this. We want to continue what we started this morning and examine ourselves and where we have let ground slip or where we have let something gain control in our lives We want to put an arrow through it. And he sunk down in his chariot. Then said Jehu to Bidkar, his captain. Jehu knew he was fulfilling the words of God throughout these two chapters. He told his captain, take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember how that when I and thou rode together after Ahab his father, the Lord laid this burden upon him. Do you remember when we come to an Old Testament minor prophet and it says the burden, the burden of Egypt, the burden of Nineveh, the burden of Israel. You know, when it says that, it means God's judgment that's been put upon them. Jehu had heard the burden put upon Jehoram by Elijah. And so he tells his captain, I want his body thrown right here where we heard that burden put upon him. When we rode together after Ahab his father, the Lord laid this burden upon him. And hear the words of the Lord. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord, and I will requite thee in this plat, saith the Lord. Amen. You say, does the Lord keep track of details like that, that he knows exactly where you did something, when you did it, and he could even judge you in that very same spot? Oh, easily. Easily. In this plat of ground. So Jehu's words are the second half of verse 26. Now therefore take and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. They had heard that burden put upon Jehoram and they fulfilled it. That's his first operation of zeal. Verses 14 down through 29 of the killing of the two kings. Ahaziah tried to escape. But he went ahead and told his men to take him and his chariot as well. So the two kings are killed. The king that ruled over the ten tribes called Israel, Jehoram, and his brother-in-law, his, his, his son-in-law, through Athaliah, his sister, Ahaziah, who was king over Judah. He's killed both kings. And he's done it driving furiously, blasting them for their whoredoms through their mother Jezebel, and drawing his bow with his full strength. God had charged him to do something. Now, I am not a prophet, and I am not the son of a prophet. But I bring to you today a reminder from God's Word that where you have slipped in your life, where I have slipped in my life, God is telling us to take out those enemies. And we want to take them out with the same zeal that Jehu had for his commission. That's our lesson. May God grip us to do that. What else did this man do? Well, we come to verse 30, and he's going to meet this mother. 2 Kings 9.30, when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. That doesn't mean she didn't take a nap so that she got tired. That means she put a hat on and put her makeup on. And she looked out that window 
having painted her face, that's just the, an old English word for putting a hat on, she tired her head and looked out at a window and tried to dissuade him from what he was about to do. I think she knew what was coming. Verse 31, And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, Had Zimri peace, who slew his master? This is another treachery, sedition, in the history of the Old Testament. And Jezebel's appealing to it. Do you remember when Zimri did something like what you're doing? Did he end up living peacefully? No, he didn't. He was cut off in a similar manner. Well, that could be a little discouraging. What if you were told that other people that have tried to do what you're trying to do, it just didn't work? If God's Word says to do it, are you going to do it anyway? Amen. There's always someone to tell you that God's Word doesn't work. But if God has said it, we should believe it, and that settles it as far as we're concerned. And we do what God said. Jehu is on a mission for the Lord, and it doesn't matter what Jezebel can remind him of. Now it gets real interesting here. Verse 32, And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. I trust the Holy Spirit. We use language like that. How far is it to the next door? Two or three miles. Did the Lord know whether there were two or three? Right. Yes, He did. But that He just uses language that we can relate to very well. Amen. Two or three eunuchs looked out and He said, three of my favorite words in the Bible. <laughs> You've known that for a long time. Those Throw her down! Right. This is zeal. This is a woman. This is a woman that had tormented the people of God for years. The prophets of God had been persecuted by this woman. Jehu called them the whoredoms of thy mother and all that she had done. Throw her down. Here's five good words. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, Go, see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel so that they shall not say, this is Jezebel. This woman who took so much glory and pride in her appearance and her queenly role, she would not lie in state anywhere where you would come by a casket and say, this is Jezebel. Because she was like dung in the opinion of God and the way He treated her, dogs ate her, so that when Jehu, after his meal... You say, what kind of a man can ride his horse over the queen and then go eat, then think about her? A man who's on a mission from the Lord. And do you know what? There should be, you should have the same kind of attitude toward anything in your life that you need to get out of your life. And that's what we're gathering here. All that was left was her skull, her feet, and her hands. She had been eaten by the dogs in the portion of Jezreel. That is God's revenge for what she did to Naboth, the Jezreelite. And so we come to the end of chapter 9. Brethren, the, the purpose of this is, and the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. 
What needs to be changed in your life? Go after it with a vengeance. Go after it with zeal like Jehu had. Because what a commendation he's going to get in the 30th verse of this chapter 10. So we come to chapter 10. Now these Ahab and Jezebel and their sons and their wives had had a huge family tree. And so Jehu's going to take care of that family. We have in verses 1 through 17 how he took care of the family of Ahab through Jehoram and then the family of Ahab that was Ahaziah's descendants. First of all, there's 70 sons of Ahab living in the capital city of Samaria. Jehu, he's now killed two kings and the queen. He sends letters to the elders of Samaria and tells them, listen, you've got the king's sons, you've got the fenced city, you've got chariots, you've got armor, Put your best, put the king's best son on the throne and make him king and let's meet. Oh, you've, you've read, I hope, the elders of Israel came together in Samaria and said two kings couldn't stand before him. Why do we want to put one of these boys on the throne and make him king? Uh-uh. Let's not do that. Let's send him a letter and say, what do you want? And so they sent a letter back to Jehu and said, what do you want? We'll give it to you. And he said, the 70 heads. And so he got a present that afternoon with seventy bat, with a basket of 70 heads. And he put them in two piles outside the city of Jezreel. Now that, do you know how fast this man's working? Do you know how zealous this man? There's, there's not quite a scene like this in the thorough destruction of the house of Ahab and Baal worship elsewhere described in the Old Testament that's done quite like this. There were kings that had revivals, and it tells us the number of years it took sometimes for those revivals to take effect. But this is Jehu's zeal. And so we have two piles of heads outside the city of of Jezreel, in in the area of Samaria, in Israel. What needs to be a head from your life? What needs to be sacrificed in your life? that should be exposed as something, you've cut the head off it. You've taken something from your life that shouldn't be there, and you've cut the head off it, and you're willing to leave that head out there as a demonstration that God's judgment was on that thing, and you've torn it out of your life. That's why we want to think about everything we we do in our private, in our souls, our personal devotions, our spiritual habits, everything in our marriage, everything in our families, with our children, on the job, in the church, everything we do. Have we done anything that needs to be eradicated from our lives? We want to do it with zeal, like we're reading here. And so, Jehu destroyed these kings and their sons. Now look at verse 15, 2 Kings 10:15, And I hope that this will fit well with what we read earlier today from Psalm 101 about David's choice of the men he wanted around him. 2 Kings 10, 15. And when he was departed thence, he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is. If it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him into the chariot. 
And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. Jehonadab, we already see his zeal for the Lord. He knows God's judgment is going to come on Israel. So he's given his sons an order on how they're to live the rest of their lives. And we read right here that Jehonadab was coming to meet Jehu. He was going to come and meet him because he was excited about the revival that was and the destruction of Baal worship that was taking place in the nation. So the two of them meet. And this is why, this is another example of why a David and a Jonathan fit together so well in the Bible. Why there were Pauls and Timothys and Pauls and Lukes. Because as Paul told Titus, he was to be a lover of good men. These great men of God loved other great men of God because they stirred each other on to excellence. The whole church of Jesus Christ is to consider one another and to provoke one another to love and to good works. That's why we get together. That's why we're put in a body. For the mutual benefit that we get from each other encouraging one another in our duties to the Lord. I love these words. Is thine heart right? Do you think the same way I think about Baal worship? Do you want to obey the Lord and and put into practice what Elijah has prophesied concerning this family? Is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? You know, I know what you've been doing, Jonadab, and I agree with all of it. Do you agree with what I'm doing? It is. Well, then get up here in the chariot with me and let's go for a ride. We've got more work to do. And so it says in 17, And when he came to Samaria, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria, till he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. The zeal, the energy, the commitment, the fury, the haste, the desire to do it now. No procrastination. You know, some men, if they had heard they had been made king, would want to know how big is the the palace I'm going to be living in? How comfortable is it? How many wives will I get? None of that. He is on a mission to fulfill everything he had been told by the son of the prophet in the first part of chapter 9, and that was to wipe out the house of Ahab and Baal worship. And so we come to verse 18 of chapter 10, and verse 18 all the way down through verse 28 is Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. Look at that 28th verse. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. Now here's where the self-righteous commentators go astray again. They read about Jehu lying to the worshipers of Baal, and they get all nervous about it. Now if they're going to get nervous about that, they ought to get nervous about the other 45 examples that are in the Old Testament of righteous men lying for righteous causes. Like Rahab the harlot. Like the Hebrew midwives. Like David. Remember David? He's in the city of Gath because he's had to run and hide from Saul. And all of a sudden, the Philistines remember who he is. He says, Oh Lord, help me now. There's a psalm written about it because he's saying something in his heart. And he penned it down later as a psalm to deliver him out of that situation. But then he starts slobbering all over himself and he goes over to a wall and starts scratching on it to pretend that he was insane. There he is, a dignified prince, heir to the throne of of Israel and Judah. 
and he's in the presence of the Philistines, scrabbling on a wall and slobbering all over himself. And the king of Gath said, he's just a madman. Get him out of here. I don't care about him. So David prayed, and David lied. Philistines don't deserve truth. That does not mean, and your children should have it explained to them, we don't go out of here and tell lies. But there was life and death at stake in the case of David, and there was the worship of God at stake in the case of Israel. And the Bible's full of this. When Samuel went to anoint David king while Saul was sitting on the throne, do you think he sent a letter in and said, I'm taking a sabbatical? I'll be gone for a couple weeks, King Saul, because I'm going to go anoint David to be king. Samuel said to the Lord, what do I say? The Lord said, tell him that you're going to offer a sacrifice over there in little Bethlehem. And so that's what Samuel did. The Bible's full of that. Let me remind you of how this, to these two chapters are ended. Because thou hast done well in executing all that was right in mine eyes. We look at these two chapters and we justify them just like we justify all those other examples of when life is at stake, you can save your life, and when the worship of God is at stake, and there are men who have set themselves against that worship and chosen Baal, they don't deserve the truth. Amen. In verse 18, verses 18 through 28 are wonderful verses. Jehu said, listen folks, now that I've taken out two kings, all their sons, and Queen Jezebel, they were worshipers of Baal. We all know that Ahab worshipped Baal. He only worshipped him a little. You wait till you see how much I want to worship him. Let's proclaim a solemn assembly. I want every Baal worshiper from the whole nation here. We're going to have a conference for Baal. And he got all of them. It was a formal proclamation and a declaration to get all the worshipers of Baal there. Ahab served him a little. Jehu's going to serve him much. Again, the illustration is for us to realize the zeal of this man. He was going to get rid of all of them. Don't let there be one worshiper of Baal that's not in this city. If he doesn't come, he shall not live. Under penalty of death, he got every single Baal worshiper there. He got them inside the temple of Baal. And he went in and he said, Make sure that you look among yourselves that there is no worshiper of the Lord here. We would not want a worshiper of the Lord in here to spoil our celebration. So they looked among themselves, and there were no worshipers of Jehovah in there. He said, I'll be back in just a second. He went out and he told his 80 men that he had put around the temple, if you let one of these men escape, it'll be your life for their life. Now that's zeal, brethren. You fathers, can you sit down with your wives and children and talk like that about how your family is going to live? We are not going to tolerate anything that's worldly or carnal or foolish or wicked in our family. This is how we want to take these two chapters and apply them. Jehu goes back inside and he says, let's bring the vestments out. All these, all these men of Baal need to have their robes on. It's kind of hard to get to your weapon when you've got a robe all over you. So they bring out vestments and they put the robes all over the men. Jehu and Jehonadab look at each other. They go up and they offer a sacrifice in the house of Baal. What is, a, what is a sacrifice done for the purpose they have in mind other than burning an animal? It is nothing. It is a guise to get them all to relax in the temple of Baal. Right. And when they had offered the sacrifice to Baal, which should have got all those worshipers of Baal very relaxed and comfortable in their great celebration with their new king, he stepped outside and, go in and told his captain, 
go in and slay them all. And they went in and slayed every one of the worshipers of Baal, broke down his idol, and broke down his temple, and made it a draft house unto this day. A draft house is not where you go get a certain kind of beer. A draft house, and you know that from the Gospel of Matthew. You don't need to go look in a dictionary. Jesus said, whatever goes in here goes out in the draft. D-R-A-U-G-H-T. He turned it into a public toilet to this day. And so, thus did Jehu destroy Baal out of Israel. Look at the rapid succession. Jehu was given a mission. Get the house of Ahab out of Israel and wipe out Baal worship. And he went and did it. Now, he did not finish well. Look at these terrible verses. Verses 29 and 31. Howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them, to wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. In verse 31, But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. When Solomon lost the kingdom for his overbearing rulership of the kingdom, Rehoboam got two tribes. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, took the other ten tribes and instituted calf worship in these places. And Jehu did not wipe out that calf worship. And so he left in place the idolatry that had gotten Israel into trouble in the first place. And though we have verse 30, and it says, The Lord said to Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. This is a great blessing. Job was blessed with the children of his fourth generation and being able to see them. Jehu was blessed with his children to the fourth generation, four removed from him. There were five in his family tree that sat in the throne. God did that because he did so well in executing that which was in the heart of God. And we want to focus on verse 30 for the application of the zeal. The Lord loves such zealous men. And the Lord blesses such zeal when it's for His cause, His kingdom, His glory, and His word. Remember Phinehas. I've made a covenant of peace with him. Remember Jonadab. He'll never want a man to stand before me. Remember David. I will build you a house and your son will always sit on my throne. It is the Lord blessing the zeal of men. Now you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, what what thing has got itself on a throne where it's dictating some terms of my life? We have got to be zealous like this, and like the other men that we've read about today, and like the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and take that throne back and put the Lord on it and His Word on it and that alone. That is what we've got to do. It starts with our own personal souls. How close are you walking to the Lord? How regularly are you reading and praying and confessing your sins and seeking the face of God? And are you doing that in your marriage? Are you doing that with your children? 
and we go right down the list of a man's priorities and a woman's priorities, every woman in here has got to be asking herself, am I the virtuous woman that the Bible describes? Am I the holy mother that the Bible describes? Am I known for good works like the Bible describes? We've got to ask ourselves that, and we need to reclaim that ground with the zeal that we've considered today. This has been a reminder. Because if we are honest, and the Lord is honest, He already knows our lives and our hearts. If we're honest, we know how easy it is to slip from our steadfastness. And we need, we must recover that ground. And we want to recover it with the zeal that we've thought of today and that we've looked at today in the Word of God. Jesus said of Himself, and the disciples remembered it, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Until everything is right in your life, I trust that the zeal of the Lord will eat you up until you make it right. I pray that neither you nor I will have any peace or comfort until we have everything right in our lives that we should have right. And may the Lord bless us not to start with a bang like Jehu, but to finish with one like Paul. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. I didn't start the course and then not finish well. I finished it. Let it be said of others that they were like Demas who had departed from Paul because he loved this present world. Let it not be said of us. May God give you and me the zeal for the house of the Lord and the things of God and the Word of God that we ought to have. And that means there needs to be radical changes made in your life in whatever is wrong and is displeasing to the Lord. Lord, have mercy upon us and bless us to this end.